Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 543 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. What have you been up to this week? I have been procrastinating. Yes, I have a big writing project that I need to get stuck into, so of course I decided that I needed to clean the grout in my bathroom. The problem is that now I have a sore back, but also it was not even a rewarding experience because I don't didn't end up with clean grout, so my efforts did not work very well at all. I mean, sure, it's a little bit cleaner, but the really the overall result was I wasted a day cleaning for not much improvement. Um, I don't even have the satisfaction of a job well done. And now I'm a whole day behind on my writing project. So of course, the moral of the story is, yeah, no procrastinating. cleaning. I really need to invest in professional cleaners who are going to do a much better job than I do. Because really, I would have been better off writing. So sometimes it is good to declutter and all that kind of stuff, all those things that you do when you want to put off your writing for some reason. Maybe you just reached a block or you're just not inspired that day. But sometimes, bad idea. I'm sure I'm not the only one who procrastinates, though. Do you procrastinate? What or what is your favorite procrasti activity when you're avoiding the blank page or the screen? Let me know in the Facebook group. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Facebook group, do join. It's free to join. Uh, you just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook and request to join. I'd love to see you in there. Now, the other thing I have been very busy with is the travel writing course, Travel Writing, the new edition. I mentioned it to you last week and it's now available. It's just been launched and this is the week to check it out, everyone, because it's there's a special launch price. So it's never going to be repeated and it's never going to be this low. And it's only happening, I think, for five days um, from Wednesday, the 7th of June to Monday, the 12th of June, midnight. That's the only window where the price will be as low as it will ever go. So travel writing is back with a vengeance. I'm very, very excited that I've co-created this course with Katrina Lobley. She's a fantastic full-time travel writer who, you know, you'll see her byline in the newspapers every single week. Um, she's always jetting some jet setting somewhere around the world, whether it's to Lebanon or Europe or Nashville or um, New Zealand, everywhere. Uh, I always wonder where in the world she is. Um, and you'll see her byline in the Sydney Morning Herald, the Financial Review, the Australian, and so on. So we have worked together to create create travel writing the new edition because the world has changed and um, travel writing is back definitely it's just burgeoning at the moment so if you're interested in getting paid for your travels and getting the never ever ever to be repeated price uh, at this launch discount go to writercenter.com.au slash travel and in that little window from Wednesday the 7th of June to Monday 12th of June midnight um, you will be able to secure your spot even if you're not ready for it don't worry because it's a self-paced course and you have access for 12 months so you can start it any time you like and you can it's it's all video 
Um, there's behind the scenes video from actual travel for meals. Um, there's a lot of fantastic information templates, exactly how you write a pitch. A travel writing pitch is different to uh, a regular pitch. Um, so make sure you grab your spot at writercenter.com.au slash travel. Now let's move on to this, the writing tip. This is a question from our Creative Writing Facebook group, which is our online social home for graduates of our creative writing courses. Now, one of the members asked if they should include a quote from a beta reader in their query letter to a publisher or agent. She said that it was a special quote and she thought that she thought would sell the story. So the short answer is, well, no, unless your beta reader is someone famous or at least well-known in the literary world, then you probably wouldn't include a quote from, you know, say someone in your writing group who's just a regular person. But that doesn't mean, of course, that their comment has to go to waste. Pamela Freeman, our Director of Creative Writing, had a great suggestion in her reply and she said, I would ask the reader if you could cannibalise that comment to make your pitch. It's great advice because it can, sometimes it can be challenging to write your own pitch. So kind of like crowdsourcing some nice things about your story can really help you out. Now let's move on to the competition this week. I have three copies of The Interpreter by Brooke Robinson to give away. In this week's giveaway, the power of one person could make the guilty innocent and the innocent guilty. But interfering with justice comes at a price. And while being an interpreter sounds like a dream job to some, there are always two sides of the same coin. We have three copies of the astounding debut, The Interpreter by Brooke Robinson to give away. Here is the blurb. The most dangerous person in the courtroom isn't the killer. Ravel is a court reporter and knows the power of words. She spends her days translating for other people, murderers, fraudsters, and their victims. She speaks their words. Only she knows exactly what they're saying. When she spots an injustice is about to take place and a guilty man about to be labelled innocent, she has the power to twist an alibi to get the verdict she wants. The verdict she believes is correct. She's willing to risk it all. But someone knows what she's done and they want justice. What an interesting premise for a book. Absolutely um, fascinating. Um, can I, get, I might get stuck into that myself. All right, three copies of The Interpreter to give away. Entries close on the 12th of June. Go to writercenter.com.au slash win for your chance to win. Just follow the instructions on the page. And if you're at that URL in the future, that's writercenter.com.au slash win. Don't worry, there'll be some other fantastic competition there for you to enter. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? All right, I hope you are because the word of the week this week is unsinate. Uncinate. That's U-N-C-I-N-A-T-E. Uncinate. Mm. It's an adjective meaning hooked or bent at the end like a hook. Now, all the examples I could find for uncinate came from biology, referring to bones and organs and biological processes. But you can definitely use it in a more literary sense, like something like, um, his fall from the treetop was broken by the fortunate placement of an uncinate branch, which caught him on the way down. Now, you probably wouldn't use that word, but there you go, uncinate. Now, Let's move on to our writer in residence this week. 
Today, I'm talking to Richard Pritchard, who is a New Zealand-born Samoan man. He has co-authored and illustrated the middle grade novels, Guardians, Wheeler, the Koori Warrior, Book One, and now the second novel, Custodians, Wheeler, the Koori Warrior, Book Two. His passion for visual storytelling has led him to work in film, animation, commercials, and video games. He's worked on feature films such as The Great Gatsby, Happy Feet, Mad Max Fury Road, and Prometheus as a visual effects artist. Thanks so much for joining us today, Richard. My pleasure. (laughs) I'm so excited to be talking to you about your novel. This is actually the second novel in the Wheeler series. The first was Guardians, Wheeler the Koori Warrior, one. (laughs) This one is Custodians, book two. Now, oh, so much to talk about. Where did the idea for Wheeler first start? Um, Well, I'm from New Zealand, you know, so I I grew up in a very cultural, um, rich neighbourhood. And then when I came to New Zealand, I uh, to Australia, I didn't see that. I kind of expected Aboriginal people to be everywhere. And when I didn't see that, I always thought to myself, I always really want to do something for Aboriginal people to to bring their culture to more mainstream like it is in New Zealand, like what I experienced. Um, and so what happened is that I ended up years later, about well, four years ago now, I went to a gaming conference and I saw this Aboriginal girl talking about her video game that she was creating and she had a few pictures of herself and when I saw them I saw that what she was wearing was similar to what my cultural heritage dancers wear and I and I had a spark of an idea um, that was if, if Aboriginal people have this dance culture they must also have a warrior culture because um, females of my culture have that same thing we have a dance culture and a warrior culture and I immediately saw this image of a of a young Koori girl being a warrior, and I thought to myself, I could I could create that character. I could create this amazing young female warrior that would fight for her family, and I, I could definitely bring that to life. So that's what sparked the idea. So you're from New Zealand. You're from, of Samoan heritage. You're yes. in Australia, and um, you come up with this idea for this character. But it, there's a long way between an idea for a character and then actually a two-book deal with Alan and Unwin. <laughs> so maybe if you could fill in some of the key steps um, that occurred before before then. Yeah, so at that time I was teaching animation at a local school here with just a few Aboriginal elders there. Um, and so as soon as I had that idea, I did some images and illustrated some images because I know from culture, you've got to get permission first from the elders. You can write about that culture. Um, so I didn't want to uh, culturally appropriate anything. So I approached the elders and I said, I've got this idea for a Korean warrior. Um, I don't know exactly what it's about yet, but this is it. And I showed them some of the images I came up with and they loved the idea. And they gave me their blessings and permission to pursue it. And they said, oh, you're actually teaching a young boy in your class. His name is Jordan. Um, and I said, oh, yes, I know Jordan. He's like one of my top students. Um, and they said, well, maybe, you know, you could talk to him and you can do it together. And I said, yeah, I'd love to. So I brought that idea to Jordan and he thought it was awesome. And I already knew that Jordan had a story. Uh, Jordan is the co-author. Right? I already knew Yeah, Jordan he, Gould, right? Yes. I already knew that he had a, um, a story mindset because he was showing me some video games that he was writing with a friend of his. And I thought, well, if this kid 
is already into that writing or creating stories and video games, um, then that's all I need to work with. I could work with this young guy. Um, yeah, and that's how it started at first. We were thinking, could it be a video game? Could she be a short film? Um, and actually, it was the cheapest path to creating a story was a book. <laughs> sweat <laughs> equity <laughs> was all it took. Yeah. Yes. So I love the fact that when it was only the seed of an idea, you went and talked to the elders and yeah. got their permission because a lot of people actually go down the path of writing an entire story wow. and then they seek permission because they feel that they need to have something for them to read, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, so was it always a no-brainer from the outset that you would seek their permission even before it turned into anything? Oh, absolutely. Because I didn't grow up in Australia, I didn't know the culture at all, uh, besides what we see in tourism ads. Um, but, yeah, you, you have to have their permission first. You definitely don't want to go ahead. I mean, I could make a story up. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not the way that you you treat culture. You you've got to have their blessings and um and, and walk with them on their journey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that's fantastic because also from apart from being culturally sensitive and respectful, it saves you a lot of time because you you're <laughs> not going down a path that you're getting so many things wrong. You are co-creating from the start. Which is um, which is way more authentic, but also practically speaking, way more time efficient. Now, the thing is, you you were working full time um, mm-hmm. in you know in your day job, which is what again? I, well, I, I do a lot of different things. <laughs> I was teaching back then. I was working in the film industry as well in animation, and then working in marketing as well. So, doing lots of things. And Wheeler was my sort of side time project. So practically speaking, how did you and Jordan then um, work together to to really get let the story emerge? Well, I um, like, like I said, we initially thought it was a video game to start off with. So we were thinking of all of these cool scenarios that she could get into, like giant fighting giant spiders or snakes and stuff, and you know um, that game video game process. Um, and so we decided that wasn't practical, so we wanted to turn it into a, a book. So I was going, I said to him, okay, yeah, let's turn it into a book. This would be great. Um, and then there's quite a few other things that happened that would really make the book even viable itself, you know. So we we were talking to a couple of, um, how, do you, how do you say, um, like a philanthropic places down here if they could fund a short film or something. And they said, look, if you start a Kickstarter, we will give you some funding to kick it off. And so that's what we did. We started a kick fund, uh, Kickstarter that could pay for illustrations, pay for the layout of the book, editing, because we didn't have a publisher back then. Um, so it was all like self-publishing ideas. And and um, and then Jordan and I sat down and we said, okay, so I've never written a book before. You've never written a book before. <laughs> I've written screenplays, but this is a whole new area for us. Um, I love structure, screenplay structure. That's what I have learned in the past. Um, so I, I did come from a, a screenplay background, but but not a book writing background, which is why we I had to uh, rely heavily on the Australian Writer Centre. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, I understand that you found out about the Australian Writers' Centre because one of your colleagues, Astrid Schult, who yes. is the young adult author who's written uh, Four Dead Queens and The Vanishing Deep and League of Lies, she had done courses at the Australian Writers' Centre and that's how you discovered the courses and you've done many courses at the Australian Writers' Centre. So what did you get out of those courses that was helpful oh. to you in this writing this book? Probably one of the main, one of the things straight off the bat was um, support, <laughs> community, you know, like um, I'm a big fan of your podcast. <laughs> like I, I, it was like a, there's a lot of things, a war of attrition, you know, when you're writing your first book, it's like epic. And I couldn't stuff it up, you know. But, and because I come from a film background with a lot of my peers in the industry, I knew that they were going to read this book or look at the cover. <laughs> um, so it had to be a very high level. You know, i got friends who have written for Happy Feet 2, Mad Max, you know, worked for directors like George Miller, and I knew if I brought out a book with a story, they would look at it, you know, and like, hmm, is Richard legit or not? <laughs> so I had to I had to study, you know. Um, so these courses, you know, I did um, Pitch Your Novel, how to write for children and young adults, fiction essentials, laugh out loud, grammar, punctuation, characters, and I failed at English <laughs> in, in school. It was like my worst subject, you know. But I did love storytelling, and I and I had no idea where to put punctuation, in the, you know, quotes and commas, and you know how to start a sentence, end a sentence. I need like zip, nothing, because that's not how you write screenplays, you know. Um, so what it did a lot of the, the courses gave me was a confidence to go from Astrid and other testimonies that I listened to. These guys know what they're talking about. What they're doing. If I just follow these steps, I'm pretty sure I could come out with a novel of of um, some degree of legitimacy. You know, by the end of it, especially um, Christian um, essentials and how to write. For children and young adults that was my main course <laughs> you know because i needed structure i needed to, to figure out how to put this book together um so if anything i knew that if i followed this path i would end up with a book I had that well confidence. and now you've got two books <laughs> and, yeah. and i'm sure it's only the beginning because this this series is absolutely fantastic i'm interested to know whether you are would like to continue with this series or if you already got a new one in in your head <laughs> Good question. We're definitely going to continue the series. Um, right from the outset, we, we've planned six books for it to go, and it's really following her character arc, her whole Wheeler's whole journey from where she started, and we've got to follow that character arc all the way until we can get her back home. Um, and then that process could take six or more books to get her there. So um, you have you already planned out the plot lines and storylines for the six books? Yes, we have. Brilliant. <laughs> Jordan, Jordan, yeah, Jordan has um, autism, so he really struggles to write. Um, but I've worked for directors who don't really write at all. I work with teams of writers, and the writers write down and the storyboard artists do their thing. So that's how I approached with Jordan. Was like we we talk about structure a lot, and we plan structure and what happens to the characters, and we we've planned their whole history. You know what? Who they married? Who 
who their kids are and who's died and who's lived throughout the time. So we know right back where the villains were, you know, born and why they have what they have. Um, and we know how we want we let it end um, through the whole series. So we've planned a lot of this out. Now it's just like the second book is pretty much just another third of the original first arc that we created. <laughs> So it sounds like, I mean, clearly you're a planner. There, there is no doubt. So one of the things I'm interested in because this, well, th this second book, there's you write from uh, predominantly from Wheeler's point of view in first person, but you do have sections that are in third person because Wheeler couldn't have been there, you know, yes. in those scenes. Did you instinctively know to, how to do that point of view from the start? Um, was that already just um, second nature to you or is that something that you had to kind of evolve and re revise as you went oh, along? Yeah, absolutely. We had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I had absolutely no idea. All I knew is that, oh, my gosh, how can I explain another B story uh, while you were in first-person perspective? And I learned this from your courses. <laughs> first, first person first person presence, <laughs> present, you know, and third person perspective, because I was just so confused to me. Um, and then I didn't know the rules, you know, can you do this? Um, you know, do, how do you write, like, um, I'm looking at this and then change to, she looked at that, you know, even the design of the book was very problematic because how can we tell the audience that you now you're reading third person? Um, so we created symbols on the book, the boomerang for wheelies when you're reading Wheeler's point of view, and then the amulet for the villain's point of view. Um, and then it's slightly grayer in the layout, you know, so you can kind of try to get it less confusing for a reader. And it sounds like it was quite clear in the end and no one was confused, but just thank goodness for that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's it's seamless. Now, this, can you just um, explain to listeners the age group that this is for and also why you chose that age group? Yeah, seven to 12-year-olds it's aimed towards. And the reason why it shows that age group, I've actually been uh, studying books for a long time when I was working in the film industry, but they were called novellas back then. There were small books, you know, I was thinking, maybe turn my screenplays into small books, um, like a novella. And then a friend of mine did the illustrations for um, Arndo's books, um, Wolf Girl and Ninja Kid, um, Jeremy Lee. And he showed me them, and it was when he showed me the books that he illustrated for him, I'm like, I really liked that style. It really appealed to me. It had story, it had drawings, and I was like, okay, I could do this. I could definitely do this type of book, um, half graphic novel, half writing. It wasn't too big. It wasn't too much of a commitment. Um, ticked all my boxes from screenwriting to drawing images, and that, that's why we decided to go down that age group. And also another reason, not just the style of the book, but of the age, where you have seven to 12-year-olds are very non-judgmental. You know, they will accept fantasy, they'll accept crazy ideas and enjoy them and love them and not be embarrassed by them. You know, they could follow animals that are talking and have lots of fun and humour, whereas once you get to 13 years old and into secondary school, it becomes more serious topics and, you know, deeper reading and um, there's not that sense of wonder and enjoyment of imaginary creatures and animals and then it tends to fade a little bit more as they get older. 
So we really want to stay within the range of acceptability for the reader. You know, readers can accept crazy things happening, funny things happening, animals talking. It's all acceptable, you know, and enjoyable, and they're very proud of it. So, yeah, that's why we chose that age group. Now, when I was that age, I know that I certainly didn't get given books um, that were uh, like stories like this. And so I think it's absolutely fantastic that this book exists for this age group. Not only, I mean, of course, this is applicable regardless of what age you are, but not only is it a story that is compelling, that keeps you going, you learn a lot on of things that you did not expect to learn about. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. And I love the fact that you have a whole bunch of resources and teacher's notes and, you know, accompanying things that can kind of enrich the experience if anyone wants to, you know, um, give that to give that to their young readers. And you can find that at wheeler.com.au. That's W-Y-L-A-H.com.au. But what I want to know is did you set out wanting to teach stuff because there's this real balance, right, when you're writing a book like this of teaching stuff but not bomb- not hammering readers over the head with stuff that you want them to learn. So what was your mindset on that front? Because you learn language, you learn um, words, you learn whole um, entire stories and you learn, well, traditions and customs. So, yeah, what was your thought process? Yeah, we, we absolutely wanted to teach for sure. Um, my wife is an English teacher. Um, Jordan loves teaching culture and language um, himself. So, so we, you know, you we, I mean, I studied the target audience, which was young kids and teachers. Um, so I knew that teachers would have this book in their classrooms and potentially read it to their kids, which is one of the reasons why, not just the only reason, why even in um, Aboriginal culture, a lot of elders are teachers, you know, and they love their arts and crafts and they love teaching them and passing that on. So it made sense for us to make um, the grandmother a teacher, the mother a teacher, the Wheeler is a teacher. And um, we wanted, we specifically wanted to make Wheeler a teacher to connect with teachers, um, with primary school teachers. So when the primary school teacher would read it, they would go, oh, she's a teacher like me. And it's like, that's exactly what we wanted to do, connect that character with the teacher, you know. Um, So for ourselves, we didn't, we wanted to make it a fun book, but also a usable book. Um, And we wanted the teaching to be a part of the story, as any part of the story. Also, we we were using the resources that we found was a book that was like 150 years old. It was this this document that was written by um, a person in Victoria, um, and he had spent years with the local Aboriginal people down here. He was a reporter for a magazine in the the nineteen fifties or eighteen hundreds, and he had documented the, uh, five five languages down here of the five five tribes down here, um, and we used that as our foundation for teaching, and a lot of the practices that Wheeler does actually comes from this document and you know there was so much richness we only scraped the surface of what this document this 200 pages we could um get from it like um like uh smoke signals 
we don't usually think Aboriginal people use smoke signals to communicate, but they did, you know, and they would light their smoke signals next to rivers because the river stream would swirl the smoke up into the air. And so that's how they told people whether they were coming into another tribe. Um, we're not going to hear that method from most people on the street, but it's in this document, you know. Um, and another thing that came from um, my own research, like I had to draw a picture of a wheeler sleeping. Well, I can't just make it up, <laughs> you know. What what did she sleep on? What was the ground like? You know, what was the hut like? So we did all this research and, and figured out, okay, it's like this, and there's places like Bujibin that's built these things. And so a lot of it had to be genuine. And, um, and you know, studying and researching this just gave us a wealth to draw on that we didn't have to make stuff up. Um, you know, even the idea of entering another person's tribe is like entering a stranger's house. You know, you'll get arrested for doing that, and it's the same thing they had there. So, um, yeah, we just loved all that teaching aspect of it and, you know, lots of stuff like um, you know, birthing pools, birthing trees, there's so much richness and all of these things that um, we just found a way to bring it all together. So I love the fact that you wanted that it was a conscious effort. You made this conscious decision to have this teaching element. Um, but when I was reading it, I felt I, I loved the learning that I was experiencing, especially the words, right, because I love words, I, the language. Um but at no point did I feel because I have read many other books where it, I really felt it was um, it went over the line. I, I it it took away from the story. Did you have to consciously uh, sometimes pull back or consciously kind of be aware that you weren't going overboard with the teaching and take detracting from the flow of the story? Um. I think I, I never consciously thought, oh, we can't teach this this bit at all because it was always um, it was always based on the plot, you know. Well, not teach this bit, but go into too much detail. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think probably because what I learned was as much as I could learn, and I didn't wasn't that I couldn't go too far deep into that. You know, it was very like if I got it was kind of what happened like this: if Wheeler had to get to somewhere. I had to find out whether there was anything culturally that that um, I wasn't sensitive about, you know, like could we like, go from one tribe, tribe's land to another tribe, Google. What was the boundaries like? Could I, you know, you'd Google these things and try to find out am I doing saying the right thing, you know. So I think that's what drove a lot of the teaching was me trying to figure out whether what I was writing and what Jordan and I were creating was legitimate um, you know, a lot of it came from amazing. We put in the stuff that was really interesting to us, mm. you know, things that maybe everyone else knew about, but I didn't know about. Like, That's cool, but I want to know about that. It's like the apps, you know, I had no idea that they had made their own resin and mounted it and could form these things, a connection to wood and stone and the resin being mounted from, you know, flax grass. I'm like, whoa, that is so cool. I put that in there. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> love know. it. So now that you've got your taste for um, being a novelist, <laughs> <laughs> um, do you do, when you're in the depths of your writing, are you doing it? Because you, you, you do so many other things, as you say. Where do you fit the time in? 
I don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> they sound like me. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that's right. I don't, you don't sleep either. Well, I don't get to bed till like three, four in the morning. <laughs> you know, you, you, I kind of, my creativity kicks in. I sort of fluff around until midnight and then midnight comes around and I'm like, that, 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 time to get done. <laughs> so you <laughs> basically work your day jobs during the day and then you, you get started in, like, as you say, at at midnight, is that pretty much That's the way exactly it works? Right. Is it yeah. like a seven-day-a-week thing or how how frequently are you doing this? Yes, seven days a week. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So I do the – I do I, – I look after my family um, and then put them all to bed. They usually go to bed at between 10 and 11 and then I put my wife to bed and then I come back and I start about half past 11, 12. Then I usually go to about 3 o'clock in the morning. We should just message each other and keep each other yeah, company. Totally. That's <laughs> absolutely <laughs> what I do. <laughs> I love it. I'm like editing videos at 2 a.m. and doing that kind I know, of thing. I'm like, oh, I try not to get uh, swamped by social media. <laughs> like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Next thing you know, half an hour's gone. I'm like, no. I love how you've said that because there are so many people who think that you have to do it in the morning, <laughs> and, <laughs> no you know, because that's when you're most fresh or whatever. But everyone has a different body clock and everyone has different yeah, creative yeah. rhythms. So you need to do what works for you. But now that you're, you've are you got these two fantastic books and everyone, you, if you've got a kid this age, they've got to be reading the Wheeler series. Honestly, I just think it's absolutely essential. Um but now that you're 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 in this space, what's the plan? What's the plan for the for the for your you know the mix your portfolio career in the next do, several do years? Any, do you have any advice? That's <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> I tell myself. What is the plan? Well, um, this is just the start. I mean, there is no doubt. Well, it's it's hard to know because I like a lot of things that I I'm doing currently for work and currently for this like. I'm a bit of a creative hog, you know, you could say. <laughs> well, I'm doing a bit of it. I work in marketing. I really enjoy that side of it. I've worked in the film industry and I want to, I know that we want to bring her into the film. Yes, um, I can just see it already. Yeah, and that, that's a big ask film. Like a lot of people think, make it a film, but I'm like, I've worked in it. I know how much it's going to take to bring. And this is one of the things like, um, one of the things I love about writing, and for those of people who want to write for kids, is that you're unlimited with writing. You know, I could I could illustrate and talk about a bunyip, a dragon, a giant platypus, or you know, all these new creatures in the next book. Um, like we've created about sixty characters in the whole series so far, more than sixty characters, um, and to create sixty characters in the film in the film world for a film, that's like a hundred million dollars, <laughs> like right there. <laughs> okay. well, maybe maybe cost about twenty million dollars just to create characters. Because I know that I've created characters like that for films in myself. Um, so what we want to do is create leverage to make sure the film is made um, according to cultural sensitivities. Mm. We want to be really sensitive to that and make sure it's, you know, done at a very high level, very professional, um, you know, something that we can take to the world and just showcase Aboriginal culture in, in its best form. Um, that's one of our goals. And then the other goal we're doing is a, is more books and series developing the character arcs that we're loving and really enjoying. It's a challenge, you know, um, it's not easy. 
And then we're also creating a trading card game, like a Pokemon-style um, game with all the characters in that. Um, and that's going to we, we're getting some tests being sent back to us now, which we're really loving. Uh, that is another area that we want to bring Aboriginal culture to, where we can um, call on all the nations of Australia to create characters that young kids can play with, like Pokemon style, um, and share language and understand just the vastness of culture in that perspective, but also expand the characters and the story, you know, mm-hmm. that way. So there's, there's a lot of things I don't know exactly career-wise um, where it's going to lead to, but we're going to try everything. You know, um, they try to leverage Wheeler's popularity in Australia to take her internationally at some point, mm. maybe after the third book when we've got a bit more, because um, we want to keep our rights, you know. Yeah. Like you, like I treat Wheeler like a business, you know, and, and Jordan and I are 50-50 partners in this business of a character called Wheeler and we want to franchise and we don't just want it to be a book. We want to use the book as a launching pad for like um, other products, like video games, films, um, training cards, toys. You know, you you know what it's like. So much effort into your characters, and all that knowledge and all that things that you've created is just sitting there. You yeah. know, and if, if authors can leverage that and, and create Absolutely. other streams of income, um, then you know, hopefully it'll work out. Well, that's brilliant. Um, uh, there, there's so much opportunity. Um, now, just take me back, though, to before you got your deal with Alan and Unwin, you initially thought you were going to indie publish and that's why you started this Kickstarter campaign and so on. How did the Alan and Unwin thing happen? Yeah, well, to, as part of the Kickstarter, we, we did employ a PA person and I, and I think just every author that can should employ a PA or um, a publicist. A PR. Like some, mm-hmm. A PR, yeah, sorry, a PR, <laughs> a PR person. Yeah, public, public relations person. And I was sceptical at first. I was like, a PR person? Like, do we really? Is it really expensive? And we did that. And what she was able to do was get us into newspapers and to get us uh, articles written about these two guys writing a book. And I think what happened there, she was also able to get us an interview with, I think it was ABC or SBS, um, and they created more documentaries on us. Um, and that, I think, created word of mouth through the publishing industry. And then that's when publishers kind of must have pinged them and they saw it and they contacted us. So we had about five or six publishers contact us for a pitch, you know, for like, do you have any more information? And I learned that we were one of them. And um, we didn't want to show them anything until we had something decent to pitch with, um, and that took us a year. Even after the Kickstarter, still took us a year to get a viable, a viable pitch out to them um, that had illustrations, the first couple of chapters. We haven't even written the book at, at that stage. Like, we got so much attention just on the concept, you know, and I think even that is a huge thing. Like, you can sell the concept and not even write, had written it, Um yeah, and so we were always thinking, you know, maybe maybe self-publish, maybe go with one of these publishers. You know, we want to hold on to our film rights. We want to hold on to our um, you know, international rights. Um, I knew because I come from a graphic design background, a magazine publishing background, so I actually didn't need anyone 
experiment to us to create a book because I have that print understanding of how to make books myself. So it wasn't that much pressure to go, okay, we definitely need a publisher because we had to really question ourselves, why do we need a publisher, a traditional one versus a self-publish? And I was talking to my friends that had done books before and they were really great and they said to me, look, what do you want from this book? Do you want to sell books and make money or do you want to get the book out to as many people as possible? And we said we want to get the book out to as many people as possible. We don't care about if we make any money from it. Aboriginal culture and mainstream media is our goal. And then they said to us, well, go with the publisher. Go with the publisher that's best going to represent what you want to do. And so that's what we did. We were like, okay, well, let's do that. Let's let's put it all together and let's figure out who the best, what the best home is for Wheeler. Yeah. And it was Alan and Dunwood and they've been fantastic. I love it. Um, and finally, let's end with what would your top three writing tips be for people who were where you were, not so much writing tips, but maybe even mindset tips of people who are, are where you were before you had any publishers, you just had an idea and you're just wondering, is this a thing or not? You know what I mean? Do what do I what do I do? Do I push on? Do I what should I do to to know whether I, I I've got something here? <laughs> That's a good question. For sure, two courses. Australian <laughs> absolutely consider it a business. Write a book. Be smart about it. You know, it's a lot of effort. It's a lot of commitment. You're not going to get rich, but you are going to write something that kids or potential your reader is going to love. And I think my third tip is write for your audience and write what appeals to them, what matters to them. Like I, I wrote a lot of screenplays, but most of them were for myself because people would keep telling me, you know, write for yourself because then you'll, you know, be happy with what you write. And then I realised, oh, you can't really do that. You have to write for your audience. You have to pick an audience and find out what matters to them and write for them because that is one of the biggest things that's changed my kind of writing is that I know I'm writing for kids. For at the middle, a seven-year-old girl, I'm writing for her. I'm writing for her when she takes Wheeler, brings it into her, her bedroom and reads it at night alone. So I have to respect her. I have to write what matters to her, to the parents, and, and to make sure it matters, you know, and that fundamentally changes everything I write. You know, it's light, it's humorous, it's encouraging, it's empowering. And those principles is what permeates through all of Wheeler. But when I write for kids, I tell Jordan this, we have to think about that girl in a bedroom reading this. That's who we're writing, not for us. We're two, we're two guys, you know. Get advice from women, get advice from girls her age, and let's make this an amazing journey for them. So, yeah, that's my last advice. Write, write for your reader. Yeah. I love that. That's just brilliant. Congratulations on Wheeler. I cannot wait for the rest of the series. And thank you so much for your time today, Richard. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really, really enjoyed it. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Do you want to write for children? Would you like to create characters and stories that kids will love? Our course in writing children's novels is the perfect way to start your journey towards becoming a children's author. This course focuses on writing for middle grade, that's 8 to 13 year olds. You'll discover how to find your voice, understand the market, 
take your characters and your readers on epic adventures and create a blueprint for succeeding as a writer. You'll also enjoy the convenience of learning online with your very own tutor providing direct feedback on your writing. You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash children. That's writercentercomau slash children. All right, we're almost at the end of this week's episode and I'm going to leave you with this fun fact. So in Swedish, there's a word lagom, L-A-G-O-M, which means not too much, not too little, but just right, lagom. It's pretty normal in most languages that you don't get a direct correlation between concepts. So I'm not surprised there's no direct translation of lagom into English. Lagom doesn't mean perfect. It's closer to just right, but even that isn't quite right. Lagom incorporates that idea of not too much, not too little. That's kind of lost a bit in English translation. What I find fascinating is that the best way to describe this concept in English is to use the fairy tale of Goldilocks, you know, Goldilocks and the three bears. And in fact, in science, the Goldilocks zone is the area around a star where we could find life because it's not too hot and not too cold. It's just right. It's lagom. All right, thanks for joining me for this week's episode. I really appreciate it. Feel free to connect with me on social media. I'm Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O. I'm on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentercomau slash news, where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions, and much more.